0: We have a pretty pretty good house, full house today for the snow. It did not intimidate you. You are, you are right here where you should be, and that is great. And we have a lot of people tuning in online as well who were a little intimidated by the snow. But, hey, just so we're here and we are focusing on God's word together. I want to give you a couple of updates before I dive in. And that is, first of all, I just want to let you know that... Uh, we finished last year strong, so thank you for your faithfulness. That went well. So, yeah, that's worthy of, a, of some applause. That's, that's great. And so we are positioned to blast forward this year, and we're excited about doing that. And then the second thing, which brings us to the second thing, is uh, we just want to give you a little update on what's happening with Tiffin. Uh, as we have gotten into our construction phase, we're, it's a little, going a little slower than we thought, and so we're working through that, but it's not going to be a spring launch like we were originally hoping for. It's going to be a little later than that. And so we just want to we'll keep you up to date. We don't know the exact timing yet, but uh, we, we know what we would like, and we'll keep you posted on that. But it's coming. Se- things seem to be going well. It's just uh, taking a little longer, which that happens a lot, and uh, just want to keep you posted on what's happening. We started a series last Sunday called Now or Never, Making Change. And last Sunday, we talked about why people want change in general, why Christians especially should desire, why they do desire change, and then how to change, and, and then the secret to making change lasting, to make that change last permanent in our lives. And, and we're going to dive, continue really on that theme this morning, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 4. If you want to turn there in advance or get your device going, we'll, we'll get going there. But we've also been sharing some stories about change, people in our church family, and how God's changed them here at Grace. And there's a, there's a story, a phenomenal story that I want you to hear right now. And uh, this is Scott Kutcher.
1: I'm um, Scott Kutcher. growing up, uh, life was pretty rough. I I didn't have any discipline in my life and um, there wasn't much parenting in my life. When I was 13 years old, I can remember a time uh, getting arrested for underage consumption, and, and my dad had to pick me up at the police station at three o'clock in the morning, um, and, and he was drunk. I could do whatever I wanted growing up. I mean, I my parents were there, but they were not there. As long as I didn't walk in front of the TV, or you know, um, wake up my parents in the middle of the night, I could pretty much come and go as I pleased, and I did. Life as a young adult, um, I tried to maintain the the perception that I was, you know, living a good life. I I stayed employed and um, paid my bills, but. I didn't like who I was. I wanted to be anybody but who I was, and drugs and alcohol made my perception, you know, what I wanted it to be. In early 2007, my life had become unmanageable from drugs and alcohol, and 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 I had cried out to God and asked God to just take the taste out of my mouth, help me, help me get sober, um, and, and God you know, worked through a 12-step program, you know, my life got better. I developed a, a little bit of a relationship with God through that 12-step program, but it was pretty generic. Um, I never really knew what God's will was for me, but um, I had a good guess on what God's will was not for me. So I was able to, to, to use that to, to become a little bit better person, but my life was still consumed with sin. You know, by May of 2015, um, my my family and I had moved to Clyde. Um, at this point, uh, you know, I had a career. Uh, my wife and I were married. We had kids. Um, bought a house. Um, you know, on the outside life was pretty good, but my marriage was struggling. Um, my parenting was struggling, and. Um, my, my wife had started coming to Grace, and uh, one night she wrote me a letter and said that she had turned her life over to Christ, and she wanted to fight for our marriage. Uh, I started you know, coming to Grace with her, and, and I started getting some hope through her. One, one Sunday, um, Pastor Kevin had um, you know, said the sinner's prayer with, with the audience, and, and I just had enough. I had had enough of the, the sin and guilt and shame and fear and anxiety. Um, I turned my life over to Christ and, and I felt uh, for the first time in, a, in forever, as long as I can remember, that, that feeling of peace on the inside. Since turning my life over to Christ, my life has consistently gotten a little bit better each day. My marriage is doing a lot better now. Um, The the communication between my wife and I is better than I could have imagined. My life isn't perfect, but God and his scripture um, gives me a road map basically to to living life and being a parent and being a husband. In 2 Corinthians, it says that whoever finds Christ finds new life and we're a new creation. And I'm no longer held hostage by my past. Um, And my life is evidence of that.
0: Here's what I want you to think about. In what ways, if you're a believer here this morning, in what ways has your life changed because of Jesus? In what ways has your life changed since becoming a believer? Because that is the normal Christian life. But a lot of people struggle with things, and we all do, we all struggle with issues, and a lot, a lot of us, we'll, we'll have, we can think, yeah, I've changed in a lot of areas, but there's a couple areas that are really problematic in my life. And that's what we're really focused on in this series is to say, to drill down on that and say, how do we change? What's that process? How is scripture telling us that that happens in our life? So we did that in Romans 12, now we're in Ephesians chapter 4, and I want to read this passage that Paul writes the church at Ephesus in the first century, beginning in verse 17, he, he says this, so, this I say and affirm together with the Lord, that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their mind being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them because of the hardness of their heart. And they, having become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. But you did not learn Christ in this way. If indeed You have heard him and have been taught in him just as truth is in Jesus. That, in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self, which is the likeness of God, has has been created in righteousness... And holiness of the truth. So what Paul is talking about, he's describing how change happens. And there's really four, uh, four things that I want to point out through this text. First is, leave your old self behind. Second, and put on your new Leave your old self behind and put on the new by the renewing of your mind for a God changed you. Notice that almost kind of rhymes, right? So, are you with me? Everybody's like, that rhymed? Yeah, that rhymed. I worked on that. Anyway, so here we go. <laughs> leave, leave the old self behind. And put on your new by renewing your mind for a God-changed you. That's what we're talking about. That's what I hope you remember that you take away from this. And we're going to start, leave your old life behind. Leave your old life behind. That's what Paul is telling these believers in Ephesus. Now, it's interesting because as he says that, he says, The Gentile life is really, he means the unbelieving life. These are Gentiles who were Gentiles before they were converted. They were unconverted Gentiles. Now they're Gentiles, which just means non-Jewish people, who are actually trusting in Christ. But he uses this Gentile lifestyle as a way of describing the lifestyle of unbelievers. And he's saying, stop living the way you used to live Before you were a believer, stop doing that. Before you knew Jesus, stop living that way. And then he describes the unbelieving life, which is true in the first century, true today, with a series of four different phrases. First, he says, futility of mind. Paul describes the thinking of an unbeliever. And he actually does this in other places. For example, there's a well-known passage of scripture in Romans chapter one that you'll remember as I read it, if you've been around for a while, it says this in, in verse 20. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made so that they are without excuse. For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile, same word, they became futile in their speculations and their foolish heart was darkened, professing to be wise, they became fools. And what Paul is saying in both places is he's telling us, hey, if, if we don't understand God, if we miss out on God, we really don't have an accurate understanding of the world, of God, or even of our own lives. We need to understand God to get all that. His next phrase then is, describing unbelieving life, as darkened in their understanding. And he paints this picture of the hopelessness and the aimlessness of life Without God, their aimless existence because they cannot see the truth. They're, they're darkened. And, and there, are, of course, are spiritual forces at work that actually want you to be in darkness in, in this way. Because if you're in darkness, then the next thing will be true to you, where it says, the third one, excluded from, the li- from life with God because of ignorance and hardness of heart. And here Paul's saying that unbelievers are alienated from God. They're excluded from life with God because they're ignorant. And the reason they're ignorant, the reason they don't know, is because of their stubbornness or hardness of heart. And this whole hardness of heart phrase is, it, is used a lot by Paul and other writers. And there's really two sides of that. On one hand, he, he, Jesus called the Pharisees. He called them out on their hardness of heart and, and one time for example he had just done a miracle healed somebody on the Sabbath day and he does that in front of them and their response is to plot to kill him and Jesus, that's their hardness of heart they remain stubbornly opposed to Jesus even when the all the even when they have all this evidence that he is not only the Messiah, but the Son of God. They remain stubbornly opposed. Hardness of heart. But in the New Testament, this phrase is also used in a slightly softer way. For example, of the disciples who are committed to following Jesus, but they, a lot of times they get tripped up. They don't really understand. And Jesus will talk about the hardness of their heart. And there it's more, rather than being totally in opposition, it's more like a numbness Or a callousness against God's truth where it's just not sinking in. We're just not seeing it fully. And we see that a lot today with people who they're okay with Jesus. They're not opposed. Some people are. A lot of people are exposed to the exclusivity they see in Jesus as the only way. And so a lot of people are opposed to Jesus that way. But some people are just like, hey, I'm okay with Jesus. I just want to live my own life. Jesus is fine. I'm good with Jesus. I just really don't want him dictating to me how I live. I do my own thing. He, he can live over there, and I'll live over here, and everything's good. That's numbness, hardness of heart, just in a numbing way, like, hey, I'm not opposed. I just, I just I'm just, i not sold out. I'm not all bought in. And so the, then the last phrase is they're described, unbelievers are described as callous, Giving over to sensuality, given over to sensuality to practice impurity with greediness. The greediness there is just, you just want more and more impurity. And it's where people get in this life cycle of they, they, they desire change, they feel the gap we talked about last Sunday... And then they try to fill that. A lot of times it's with sensuality-type things, sexual-type things. And as they do that, it's just they keep needing more and more and more and wanting more and desiring more and more with greediness, impurity with greediness. And and they think it's going to bring satisfaction. When it doesn't, they think more of it will bring satisfaction. And they just kind of pile on and pile on. And these people, we see this in in our culture today, how people who are living in a lifestyle that the Bible says is immoral, but not only do they live that, they will uh, seriously attack anyone who suggests that their lifestyle is immoral, like God says it is. And so they kinda do their own thing, but if anybody suggests that they're being immoral, they're on full out attack against that. And we see that more and more in our culture today. And so here Paul's describing a life before that life has encountered God's love, God's mercy, and God's grace. And then the next couple of verses here are difficult to reproduce in English, and that's why it sounds so choppy. It's just hard to put this into English, but that's where it says this. "You did, But you did not learn Christ in this way. If indeed you have, you have heard him and have been taught in him, just as truth is in Jesus, that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit. Basically saying, whoa, whoa, whoa. That's the old life. But you, you Christians, you don't live that way because now you found new life. In Jesus, that's the old way. That's not for you anymore. He's saying, lay aside the old self because that old self is being corrupted. And Paul assumes here that once someone becomes a Christian, that they learn about God, they learn about God's truth, and that changes them. So, leave your old self behind. And put on your new, that's your new self. That's what Paul is saying here. Something has happened here in the last few weeks to my sister-in-law who uh, lives down south. Uh, they, they have a house, her and her husband, and, and over the years they have fixed up their house, remodeled their house, doing different things. They know a little bit about building and stuff. And, and they've made their house nicer and nicer. It's a ranch-style house. But a business moved into kind of a steel building that was not far from their house. And this, I don't know what this building, this business does, but at their house, it was just this, they could hear this constant thump, 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 like all day long. Thump. They could hear it and they could feel it. Thump, thump, thump. So this has been going on for quite some time. Well, then all of a sudden, one day they're laying in their bed and they notice the sheetrock on their ceiling is falling down. And then so they, they repair that, and that's like that's really odd. Well then the sheetrock somewhere else is falling down. And so they start realizing, wow, things are happening that they bring in a, a home inspector and he not only he says, Your house is a disaster and it's because of the ground shaking because of this business. Then he takes them out to their concrete driveway and it's like gravel now. It has just all busted up. And so it's And, and they, they've got an issue. They realize their house, although they've been fixing it up, although it looks, you know, looks good from the outside, actually it's being corrupted. I mean, it's falling down around them. Now that company, I think, has decided to purchase their house and, and make it all right, so they're good, I guess. But that's how the old life is. That's what Scott was saying. Hey, on the outside, hey, I had a job, I had a wife, I had children, everything looked pretty good. But on the inside, it's not working. I'm coming apart. That's the way the old life is. And a lot of us, we, we, can, we can see that in our own lives where we were building on something or we were taught to build on something or we grew up thinking this is the way to do life. And as we just kept trying to do that, because it was the wrong thing, it's almost like the foundation of our life just was crumbling at the same time. Everything looked okay, but it wasn't right. And it's just a matter of time before that old life comes down. Paul's saying, leave the old life, the old self behind Put on the new. That's the new life we have in Jesus. That's what he's telling us that happens to us when we become a believer. That we should embrace that new life. And that's one of the amazing things about Christianity. Is that Christianity has the power to change our identity. It changes who we are. We put off the old self. We put on our new self self. Now, one thing I've noticed over the years is that some Christians and some churches will emphasize one of of these things and not the other. They'll just emphasize half of this truth. For example, some churches, they're all about putting off the old self, leaving the old self behind. And that's the big thing. And that's how some Christians think. And then those communities of believers and those believers, their attitude is like a, a lot of rules we have these rules we can 't do this and and then a lot of times they sort of isolate themselves because they want to make sure that they 're not straying out of bounds, and so they isolate themselves, they try to follow the rules it 's almost like they're you know bubble boy who who, who you know where somebody 's in a bubble and they they can 't They can't let any, they have to be completely isolated because they don't have any immunity to anything out there. And the problem with that is typically, and and we see that stereotypically, those kids, you know, grow up and, and then maybe they go off to college or something, and then they're exposed, they're not in the bubble anymore, and all of a sudden they're exposed to all this stuff, and they go off the deep end because they've never learned how to deal with it. Because they've never been exposed to it. They've never built up immunity. They've never learned to deal with sin. And so that's one way that that can kind of happen. On the other end is that you'll have other people who do just the opposite. They don't think about the putting off. They focus only on the putting on. And so they say things like, hey, don't struggle. Let go and let God let go. Just let go and let God. Don't struggle. Don't sweat it. Let go and let God. And typically what happens there is they feel better about the struggle. Oh, I'm not struggling anymore. I just let go and let God. But when it comes to the issues in their life, they haven't changed. They, they still have that sin. They're just not as they're not as worried about it they're not as fixated on it cuz they've let go and let god and god just hasn't done it yet so the but here's the thing paul's saying you have to do both you have to put off your old self you leave that behind and you put on the new put on the new self it's kind of like you know i i shared last year about these uh, specific kind of weeds in my yard, these sandburrs, you know, that I really didn't like. I had them out west, and I didn't think they were in Ohio, and then they showed up. And I'm killing them, and they keep growing back, and every year I'm killing them. Actually, somebody gave me some, like, monster stuff that I'm going to use this spring. But anyway, the point is, if you don't, once you just kill them, that's not enough. you got to kill them and replant some grass or something there. If it's just a bare spot, something else is growing there, right? you got to put off your old self, and put on your new, you have to do both. Of course, a lot of people say, wow, I'm trying to do that. I'm trying to, to, to put on the new, and, and I'm not always getting that. It's, it's kind of like, when's a thief not a thief? Well, some people say, well, when he stopped stealing. But then other people say, no, he stops stealing that's just a thief on vacation that's just a thief, a thief that's out of work right now he's just unemployed for the moment he hasn't changed on the inside actually paul gives an example of this a few verses later in ephesians check this out in verse 28 he says he who steals must steal no longer put on, leave the old self behind but that he's not done yet. Then he continues. But rather, he must labor. He's saying he must work, performing with his own hands what is good, so that he will have something to share with one who has need. So do you see what Paul's saying? Here's his example. Leave the old self, leave your old self behind. If, if you've been stealing, don't steal anymore but you don't create a vacuum. Instead, you work with your hands, and you work to the point that you can not only take care of yourself and yours, your family, without stealing, but that you also have something to share with others, to help others. So stop stealing, and then replace that with the satisfaction of honoring God by working and also being generous to others. That's It's both is in play. We have to do both. And so some people say, okay, have to do both, easier said than done. How do you do both? How do you put off the old self? How do you leave your old self behind and put on your new? Well, you do that by the renewing of your mind. That's the bridge that bridges your old self with your new self leave your old self behind and put on the new by the renewing of your mind and now that should sound a little familiar does that sound familiar to anybody the renewing of your mind Okay, I'm hearing some yeses, but I see no hands, which is really discouraging to me because I just talked about this last Sunday. But remember, if you'll remember how that went, um, here's the way he says it in Ephesians 22, the second, second part of that verse 22. Lay aside the, notice the bridge, notice the key. Lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit, and that you be renewed... In the spirit of your mind, that sounds a lot like Romans 12:2 uh, that we talked about last week, we were saying, "Do not be conformed by the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind." He's saying the same thing to the Ephesians that he told the Romans, "How to change? How do you do it? by being renewed in the spirit of our minds. Now, we talked last time, the way we are renewed in in our minds or in the spirit of our minds is by taking in God's truth. Taking in God's truth. Being intentional about hearing God's truth. And, And that's what we're doing today, but it needs to be bigger than Sundays. So, that's where we try, we try to be intentional as believers to read God's word every day or somehow hear God's word every day. And, uh, and then we want to focus on that, sit under the teaching of God's word. We, we want to do that. We want to take that in, but not just take it in. We want to think through it. Uh, the psalmist said, meditate on it night and day that we we meditate on it we think through it so we internalize it as a believer because we all know this can happen how many of you have had a bible reading plan or something where you check out the list and then you read a paragraph or two and you're kind of thinking about something and then you stopped and then you started thinking you thought "I, i don't know anything i just read in the last paragraph that happened to anybody yeah but i looked at every word but i don't remember anything that it said well that's not in taking God's truth. That's checking off a buck. We want to read it and then think about it so that we can internalize it. We can meditate on it. So, for example, you read in the morning, if, if that's your habit. It could be at night or whenever. But then you think through those truths for the rest of your day and how that applies. And you start building on that. So it's the renewing, the secret the, the to lasting change or The bridge between the old life and the new life is this renewing of our minds. And when we do that, it shows up in our lives. When we change our mind about something, that will lead in a change of our behavior. And sometimes we see people uh, that, that this has happened in. For example, Monday this last week. How many of you watched the National College Football Championship? Anybody watch that? Some of you are boycotting because of the whole Ohio State. But how many of you watched Clemson versus Alabama? Did you see that? And if you stayed up to the end, I don't know if you did or not, the Clemson coach was interviewed. I mean, this is right as the game ends, first interview. Everybody's still on the field. I want you to hear what Dabo Sweeney has to say
2: there are a few coaches in any sport who show more joy than you do how do you describe the joy of the moment well that's that's been my word all year and and I I just tried to have been i tried to be intentional with that and um, for me personally joy comes from focusing on Jesus others and yourself and um, man I mean you know very few people there's so many great coaches that that are so deserving of a moment like this that never get the chance to experience it and um And how about them Tigers, man? I'm so proud of our guys, these seniors. We beat Notre Dame and Alabama. We left no doubt. And we walk off this field tonight as the first 15-0 team in college football history. And uh, all the credit, all the glory goes to the good Lord, number one. And number two, to these young people. When you get a young group of people that believe, are passionate, they love each other, they sacrifice, they're committed to to, the, to a, a singleness of purpose, you better look out, great things can happen, and that's what you saw tonight. You can't write a Hollywood script like this. Only God can do this, and that's a fact. And, and people may think I'm crazy or quacky or whatever, but only God can orchestrate this. You can't, no Hollywood producer can write it.
0: So this is just a minute, two minutes, After the game ends, Clemson didn't just beat Alabama. If you watch the game, they beat Alabama convincingly. I'll say it that way for the Alabama fans that might be in here. They beat Alabama convincingly. And then a reporter starts talking to to Dabo, and he says a whole lot in this, but four different times. He circles back to this is a God thing, this is God, only because of God, to God's glory over and over again. Why? This is a man who's been renewed in his thinking. He looks at life differently. He's a believer that ever that life has run through this grid of God's truth, and so he sees everything in a different way. You know what I was thinking as I was asking this to be put together? I'm thinking, why? Because... In this game, you had two quarterbacks who were super on both sides of the of the on both sides, Alabama and Clemson, who are very outspoken believers. And so, here's what I was thinking: Why is it that it's always sports that you hear people giving glory to God and talking about God? You know, you don't hardly hardly ever hear that. From an actor, you know, if they win the Academy Award, they're usually not saying that. Once in a while, you'll hear some vague reference to God, but, you know, they don't keep doing that. Or, or anything, you know, why is that? Or p- just personalities on TV, you don't hear them saying, well, here's my theory. So this is just Kevin. So I just, you know, thought this through. Here's what I'm thinking. We live in the world system. And the world system is opposed to the exclusivity of Jesus. Now, Christianity is the most inclusive religion in the world because anyone can come, no matter who you are, what you've done. But there's only one way, Jesus. But the world system is opposed to that. So anytime the world system can filter that out, they do. So an actor that has that kind of a viewpoint, they don't get voted on. You know, they, they, don't, they don't make it to the top. Or an, a TV anchor or somebody... That they would lose their job. But in sports, they don't get to filter the who. The sports, the who they interview is who won. So there's no, under, they don't know what this guy believes. Or even if they do, they still have to interview him. So that's, that's my theory on that. The world system filters out anything about Jesus, but unless it's something they like, like Jesus is the same as everybody else or whatever, But when it comes to sports, they don't have that opportunity to filter anything out. Anyway, just my theory. But the point is this. God changes our lives. And that's the fourth thing I want to talk about. Now, if you're getting don't hurt my feelings, stick with me on the rhyme. It's somebody between service told me. That was a terrible rhyme. That didn't have the right. Yeah, whatever. I'm not a poet. Give me a break. All right. Leave your old self behind and put on your new by renewing your mind for a God-changed you. And, and all I mean about this fourth point is this: that we have to take action to do this. It's not just let go and let God. It's, yeah, let go and let God. but we've got to do something. We take action. But even when we take action and it works for us, we know that we're only able to do that action because God's given us the grace and the strength to do it, right? And we see this kind of like a paradox over and over in scripture that, well, how do you become a Christian? Well, you make a decision to to call out to God. Well, who saves you? God does. But who makes that happen? Well, You may, you, God's done everything that's necessary, but you have to cooperate with that. So we have this paradox, which is two truths that are both true that seem to contradict, but they actually don't because they're both true. And so God changes us. We tend to separate the putting off and the putting on. When we do that, it's lethal, Or we tend to separate the putting off and putting on from the renewing of our mind. When we do that, it's lethal. It does not work. We must take action, and we must take action to do both. But as believers, we know that any action that we're capable of taking is only because of the grace of God. Does that make sense? Those are both true. God helps us live a new life. And we experience the new life by the constant renewal of our minds as the Spirit works inside us, that we keep internalizing God's truth, which changes our mind, the way we think about things, and then that leads to changed behavior as we live out the new life. And we see that that kind of Uh, paradox in several places in scripture for example Paul when he's talking to the Philippians he says work out your salvation what's he saying to them you guys work out your salvation with fear and trembling for it's God who's at work in you we are to work it out but it's God working in us it's not just Paul here's what Peter says Peter says in in his first chapter of second Peter Be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and his choosing you. That's this whole thing of divine election. God chooses you, but you work it out to make sure that that has happened. And how do you do that? You should notice in your life that your life has changed as a believer. And the longer you live the Christian life, the more change God should work in you Because you're willing to take action based on the truth that has changed your mind and helps you change your behavior. That's what Paul's saying right here. Don't do part of it. It's dangerous. It's lethal. You have to take action for all. Put off. Put on. Take in to renew your mind. And God will change you. So one more time on the poem. All right. Okay, now I'm expecting you I, I can't even hear all that well today, so I'm expecting you to be loud. All right. Leave your old self and I okay, whoa, whoa, whoa. Let's back it up. By renewing your mind for a God changed Hey, that's, that's pretty good. Now, we're gonna, I'm going to pray in just a moment. So we're just about ready to wrap up. I just want to say something. Some of you may be sitting here and say, Kevin, I'm hearing everything you said, and I don't disagree with anything, and I think I knew all that before I walked in here. But I am still struggling with this one thing in one area of my life, and it's driving me crazy. Two things. first. Welcome to the crowd. No, God loves you. God loves you. And second, you've got to come back next week because that's when we deal with that. All right, see you next Sunday. Let's stand together and we'll close in prayer. Father God, thank you for your love for us. Thank you that we could come together, we can worship you, celebrate our new life with you. And it's all a gift the most precious gift in the world. And Lord, it all starts with us simply calling out to you for forgiveness and salvation. And Lord, we recognize uh, with us this morning that everybody has not done that. Not everybody here is truly a believer. And Lord, they, they, were, they are just like we all used to be. And Father, we pray for them that you would Draw them to yourself, that you would help them to see more and more of your truth. or that they would come to faith, not by works, but just through belief. Lord, thank you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.